0: Hi there, this is the Rev. Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. It's referred to as the Doctrine of the Trinity, our theological understanding of God's three different ways of being God. It's about God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or, if you prefer, God the Creator, Redeemer, Sanctifier. Or, as the hymn puts it, God in three Persons, Blessed Trinity. Now, admittedly, all this can sound very confusing. In fact, I've actually heard the doctrine of the Trinity referred to as Christian Algebra. And that's for good reason. But given that, I'll also say that sometimes the best way to begin to understand the Trinity is by way of an apt metaphor, maybe even a parable. That's what we're going to be doing today with a message entitled, As Close As Breathing. It's based on John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, and the metaphor we're going to use begins with a beautiful piece of music that I am sure you'll recognize. Bach. Specifically, that was a piece from the cantata numbered 147 entitled, and you'll have to forgive my pronunciation here, Herst und Mund und Tat und Lieben, composed in 1723 by Johann Sebastian Bach. We know it, of course, as Jesu Joy of Man's Desiring, a tune that I dare say most of us have heard a great many times, perhaps performed by a great symphony orchestra or sung by a chorale or a church choir. It's always possible, I suppose, that, that some of you who have tuned in this morning are hearing this piece performed for the very first time. But even then, I would make a guess that you recognize the melody even if you didn't know where it came from because regardless of your particular knowledge of the piece there is probably something about it that may just stop however momentarily maybe smile a bit and say to yourself i know that song see that's what music does it touches us emotionally spiritually even physically even if sometimes it happens in a fleeting kind of a way. In other words, that uh, familiarity kind of is here and then it's gone. Recognized for an instant and then relegated to memory until the moment when that same melody passes by you on another occasion and the experience happens all over again. You see, sometimes when we think of songs, in whatever shape or form they happen to take we think of them as sort of just being there as part of some kind of oral landscape but in fact as any musician any singer any composer will tell you thinking of songs merely in that fashion really is to miss the fullness of the music it is to deny ourselves the whole experience of what that piece of music is all about what it means to us what it does for us to miss that you see would be a shame take for instance "Yezu joy th- that wonderful song that Sue just shared with us that is it that song is much more than just a simple melody it is in fact a masterwork, a full and glorious piece of music that encompasses at least three separate and unique personalities, each of which represents a special contribution to the whole, each one different than the others. And yet, when each of these personalities come together, what ends up created is one full Beautiful, memorable expression of music, Bach. Let's talk about that for a minute. To begin with, okay, uh, we have to realize that Bach was, shall we say, the father to his music. By that I mean that the ideas for Bach's music came from his own head. They, they were inspired by his own heart. In other words, the melody, harmony, tempo, and rhythm of a particular composition, all of these things and more come out of the vision of a composer or an arranger. You know, what's interesting here is that throughout his life, Johann Sebastian Bach often built his works, his chorales in particular, from the songs, the hymns, and the melody lines that he knew from childhood uh, songs etudes if you will that were part of his musical training here's a fun fact "Yezu joy actually started out as a jig tune some song that he had heard at a dance somewhere that song like so many others rolled around inside of his head for uh, forever and had become such a part of him that he was moved to recreate those songs around a seemingly infinite series of harmonies and variations. And then, of course, there would also be melodies and song fragments and additions to the pieces that that just sort of came out of nowhere. Things that, for lack of a better word, nagged at Johann and begged to find form and substance and its own one-of-a-kind beauty. That's Just what Johann Sebastian Bach sought to create. And so that's what I'm talking about when I say that Bach was the father to his music. But there also needed to be an expression of that creativity. The realization of that one-of-a-kind musical beauty. All of the literally hundreds of chorales, cantatas, motets that were composed by Bach needed to, at some point, be written down and recorded in just the way he intended for them to be. So Bach, who was the father of his music, he then brought forth a score. He put down on paper a pattern of notation describing the music he had in mind and how it was to be performed. There's musical notes. There are key signatures. There are words and symbols to remind us of the proper tempo, the intonation and style. So I suppose one could say that the the score was the child of Bach's ideas, the embodiment of his vision for the music he created. So now when we look at a score of a work that was composed by Johann Sebastian Bach, we know that this is as close as we can come to knowing what he was thinking, what he was feeling, what he intended when he created this idea, this creation of musical beauty. So then, Bach was the father to his music. The score, the full and complete expression of the idea could well be thought of as the son. But there's still more if we're to truly understand the fullness of Bach's music. And that has to do, that's right, with its spirit. That is the energy, the excitement, and the utter beauty that's revealed when musicians of every stripe pick up their instruments and proceed to coax out of their instruments the sound which the composer intended, thereby linking audience to the composer it was there in the skill care and love that we feel from susan as she sits down at her clavonova to play it's what happens to us as singers and as choir members when a song or a hymn or an anthem comes together in just the right way sometimes in spite of ourselves you see every time we hear yesu joy play in some small little way, we become united with Bach's vision. Even 300 years later, friends, we are given an inkling of what Bach was feeling about this piece and the emotions this music raised in his heart. Bach himself becomes revealed to us through the medium of musicians playing, interpreting that score of his work. You know, I've heard Yezu Joy performed on pipe organs and grand pianos. Heard it today on a clavinova. I've seen it played by symphony orchestras and sung by choirs of just about every shape and size. But you know what, I've also heard it played by steel drum bands and by bluegrass groups full of fiddles and guitars, or as they say in Nashville, guitars. I've seen it performed classically and reverently. I've seen it done a little irreverently. I have heard soaring renditions that literally leave you breathless in the end. You see, the bottom line is that there's no way you can really appreciate the musical score without hearing that score performed by the musicians, the singers, and conductors, who themselves were inspired by their own glimpses at the score and the vision it contains. In some small way, I have to say that just about every version I've ever heard of this song provided some kind of insight as to Bach's vision and intent for his work. So you see, there ends up being three separate and unique personalities that when combined make up this full and beautiful moment of music we know so well, so well that when we hear that music, it immediately becomes something personal to us, something so lovely and melodic that long after the song is done, you hear that melody in your head and your very breathing takes up its rhythm. The song, in its fullness, becomes a part of you. And if you think of that as a parable, friends, then perhaps this becomes a way of understanding a bit of the experience of God in our lives. For central to our faith is this idea of God as three persons the blessed Trinity that we sang in the hymn earlier God the Father, Creator, God the Son, Redeemer, God the Holy Spirit, Sanctifier, separate parts separate personalities of the one God, the one God who comes to us and is always, always and ever as close to us as our very breathing. Now the doctrine of the Trinity is, I think without question, the most feared and perhaps misunderstood parts of our Christian theology. And indeed, to wrap one's mind and heart around the concept of a God in three persons is confusing, to say the very least. And it has been the undoing of many a pastor and teacher. But you know what I have to tell you, friends, that speaking for myself, I have long found the Trinity to be a comfort. If only because it's... One way that my puny little mind can even begin to grasp the full and all-encompassing grace of God. You see, without the Trinity, God would seem as far off as a distant star in the dark blue of a cold night sky. Education and logic tells us that the star is hot. But truthfully, it's so far away from us that the heat of the star comes off as imperceptible to us, really it makes it impossible for us to warm up in his light. But thanks to the doctrine of the Trinity, this view of God, we understand that God is not a distant and far removed deity. One of my seminary professors referred to as an absentee landlord of the cosmos. Rather, this is the God who lives very, very near to us as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Creator, Redeemer, Sanctifier. Ours is the living God who contains within himself the kind of communion we seek. Ours is the God of power and love who continually brings himself ever closer to his creation. And we are warmed in the light of that constant and abiding presence that is and shall ever be as close as our very breathing. So yes, yes, God is our father, or mother for that matter. Our words, our names are meant to help us understand. God cannot adequately be described by our gender language. God is the one who is the very source and origin of our existence. Our living, our breathing, our laughing and crying, our times of waking and sleeping, all of this and so much more bears the mark of God's vision for the universe, for the world, for our very lives, yours and mine. We are God's creation, a creation that is set in motion with a purpose in our hearts and minds. We are created in God's image and it is the image of love. But yes, as the saying goes, we're only human. And the truth of our existence is that more often than not we have strayed from God's vision and purpose. We need a model for our lives. We need a model for living as God's intends. And so God also came to us in the son, in Jesus, our Emmanuel which means God is with us and means that God has participated in our lives. Jesus is the truest expression of how life is to be lived within God's vision and purpose, even amid all the struggles and the difficulties and the temptations of our lives. In life and in death, without compromise, Jesus brought us closer to God and what God intends for us to be. Wow! it should be added, offering us forgiveness and grace for the times we have fallen short of the vision. In the words, those very familiar words from our text this morning in John's Gospel, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And yes, God, along with being Father and Son, God is also Spirit, Holy Spirit. For God promised us in Jesus Christ that we would never ever be alone, that we should be able to know and to access a peace that the world cannot give nor take away. God's presence and the divine life in Christ, you see, flows constantly in and through our lives, beloved. It happens in this as it happens in every generation. A spirit that shelters us at times, that moves us, us along new pathways at others, but always gives us the energy and strength to keep living, always picking us up when we stumble, providing us the courage we need to stand and walk. It is by the Spirit, blowing where it will, that God's full purpose and intention is revealed to you and me. In our reading today that Sarah shared with us, John speaks with Nicodemus about being born from above. That is, born again, born of the Spirit. It's a concept that Nicodemus can't yet begin to understand. But like all things having to do with God, it's complex, but at the same time very simple. This is Jesus' promise of a Spirit that brings forth the fullness of God's blessing to the world this blessing that he has bestowed upon us from the very creation of the heavens and the earth, a blessing signed and sealed by the giving of his only son, Jesus Christ. And when we are born of that promised spirit, our lives cannot help but begin anew, redirected now towards God's vision, God's own kingdom. It's the spirit you see by It's divine inspiration and truly holy movement that takes us there. Our God, our one God, God the loving Father, God the redeeming Son, God the ever-present, ever-leading Spirit. This one God is always with us. This one God in three persons is always as close to us as our very breathing. Nearer to us than anything and anyone in this world. Our God knows and shares with us the fear and the pain and the grief and the anger and the confusion that we had just assumed we, we were the only ones who could possibly understand. Our God is so close that God understands us even when we can't understand us. Our God is nothing less than comfort and consolation itself. Our God is peace. Our God is love. Our God is everything. We don't understand it. I surely don't. But then to try and uh, capsulize or contain it would only be to limit God. And God is so much bigger, so much greater than our human ideas and our limited perception. We can't explain it as much as we might try. But what we can do is cherish it. For it is God's incredible and continuing gift of graceful love. And we can proclaim it. We can proclaim it unto the world, for truly, as Jesus himself said it, we only speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, As Close as Breathing. It was recorded as part of our May 30th online service of worship at East Church. And may I offer up a special word of thanks to our Director of Music at East Church, Sue Goulet, who played for us, Yezu Joy of Man's Desire. By the way, you are always invited to join us live for our Sunday services of worship. They happen each week at 10 o'clock either online via Facebook Live or, I am pleased to say, in person as we are now cautiously resuming indoor in-person services in our sanctuary. Know that all appropriate safety protocols will be in place, but however is best for you, we would love it if you can be with us to celebrate our return to this new normal. And with that, we come to the close of this episode of Love to Tell the Story. This is Michael Lowry, and now, as we are beginning the third year of this podcast, I want to thank you so much again for listening to and supporting what we do here. I cannot even begin to tell you how much I've appreciated that. And so, until next time, stay safe, be well, and may God bless you with a great day every day. And we will talk to you soon.